Our reading this morning will be from 1 Samuel chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible with you, uh, we've got some Bibles here, um, so if you want, uh, you can grab one now. It's always helpful to have a Bible yourself, um, so you can see uh, that the things that I say and the things that I read um, are not just my own words, and that they're actually, actually the words of God himself. So please, if you don't have a Bible, either grab one um, or uh, make sure to bring one next week. So our reading is from 1 Samuel in chapter 3. 1 Samuel in chapter 3. This is the word of God. Now the boy Samuel ministered before the Lord under Eli. In those those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. One night Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. The lamp of God had not yet gone out, and Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. And then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again the Lord called, Samuel. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. The Lord called Samuel a third time. And Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. Then Eli realized that the Lord was calling the boy. So Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. The Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times, Samuel, Samuel. Then Samuel said, Speak, for your servant is listening. And the Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything I have spoken against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever, because of his sin he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible, and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for, by sacrifice or offering. So Samuel lay down until morning, and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision, but Eli called to him and said, Samuel, my son. Samuel answered, Here I am. What was it that he said to you? Eli asked. Do not hide it from me. May God deal with you, be it ever so severely, if you hide from me anything that he told you. So Samuel told him everything, hiding nothing from him. Then Eli said, He is the Lord. Let him do what is good in his eyes. 
Now the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up, and he let none of his words fall to the ground. And all Israel, from Dan to Beersheba, recognized that Samuel was attested as a prophet of the Lord. The Lord continued to appear at Shiloh, and there he revealed himself to Samuel through his word. Shall we pray together? Father, as we come to your word this morning, our simple prayer this morning is that you would hide your word in our hearts so that we might not sin against you. Father, we are deeply thankful for the words that we've been given. We know that uh, it's the guide for our lives. We know that it's true. Father, it's the lamp for our feet and the light on our path. So Father, we pray that um, even this morning as we read and meditate on your word, uh, that you would shine in front of our feet. Whatever the next step in our lives is going to be, Father, we pray that your light would shine on it. Mm. Father, let it be the light on our path, that when we look ahead, uh, that, we, that when we look into the future, it might be lit up by your words. Father, that we are reminded of where we're headed and where we're going and what a narrow path is that you have set out for us. Father, we pray that you would teach us, let your Holy Spirit be the teacher this morning, capital T. We pray that we might see your glory. We, might, we pray that we might see more clearly the Lord Jesus Christ and all of this. And we pray it in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, this is our third week in the book of 1 Samuel, but if, you, if we want to understand um, a little bit about the book of 1 Samuel, I think we have to understand a little bit about the setting and the background um, of the book of Samuel. Now, this was the time of the judges. Uh, you might know that Samuel is actually called uh, the last of the judges. We won't go through the whole of the book, uh, but we need to have a little think about what the time of the judges was actually like. Now, this was a dark time. Uh, this was a dark time in the history of Israel, the time of the judges. You will remember that Israel was in slavery in Egypt, uh, and that under the, the guidance and the leadership of Moses, uh, they were led out of Egypt, um, and they'd been in the wilderness for 40 years. And then under the leadership of, of Joshua, uh, they'd had this, this great conquest uh, where they conquered the land of Canaan, um, and they'd entered the land of Canaan, the promised land uh, that God had promised to his people. But what we see in the book of Judges is that pretty much as soon as Israel settles down in the land of Canaan, that they start to rebel and that they start to reject God pretty much straight away. We see that there's religious apostasy and the, the people just completely turn away from God and they, they engage in idolatry. There's widespread immorality, and there's dissatisfaction, uh, they ignore the word of God, they rebel against the word of God. Uh, there's frequent wars between the tribes. Uh, people literally uh, pick up arms um, to, to, to kill each other. Uh, when we get to the end of the book of Judges, one of the tribes is almost completely eradicated. There's weak and unfaithful leadership. Uh, when you look at the Judges, uh, you actually see that they've all got a lot of weaknesses. Four times over, the book reminds us that in that time, there was no king. In other words, there was no faithful and strong leadership to guide the people. Two times over, the book of Judges reminds us that everyone did as he saw fit. In other words, 
It was absolute chaos and anarchy. Anarchy. This was a dark time in the history of Israel. So this is the time that Samuel, this young boy, is growing up and is ministering before the Lord, as we see in verse 1. It says that the boy Samuel was ministering before the Lord. It's already the third time in this book that it's been mentioned that Samuel is ministering before the Lord. It says in those days, so this is the time of the, of the judges, this time of chaos. In those days, the word of the Lord was rare. There were not many visions. Now I think we have to stop here and ask ourselves, why was the word of the Lord rare? Why was the word of the Lord rare? Isn't it strange? Israel had been given the word of the Lord, had they not? They had the book of Genesis, they had the book of Exodus, they had the book of Leviticus, of Numbers, of Deuteronomy. They had the word of the Lord, but still, it was rare. Turn back with me, um, if you will, to Deuteronomy chapter 6. I want you to see something here. Book of Deuteronomy chapter 6. These are the words that God gave through Moses to the Israelites. And he wanted to impress on them that this word that they had was really important. Deuteronomy chapter 6, starting to read in verse 6. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road. When you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. This is what God is saying to Israel. God is saying this is so important. It's got to be everywhere. It's got to be in your house. It's got to be on the road. It's got to be talked about. It's got to be thought about. It's got to be shared. In other words, the word of the, of, of the Lord was meant to be abundant. It was meant to be everywhere. And yet we read here that the word of the Lord was rare. And what is the result? Absolute chaos. Proverbs 29 and verse 18. Where there is no revelation, the people cast off restraint. And that's what we see here in this time of the judges. The people have cast off all restraints. There was chaos because there was no word of the Lord. This word that was meant to be abundant was rare. So we ask the question, is the word of God in, uh, abundant in, in your life? Is it abundant in my life? Is it abundant in this church? Or is it rare? In the time of Samuel, the word of the Lord was rare. And the result is very, very clear. Chaos, anarchy. And Roger reminded us uh, last week uh, very clearly that um, this was uh, best reflected in the priesthood. Uh, the priesthood were uh, meant to be the leaders who, uh, who led the worship, who led the teaching of the word of God. And last week we've seen clearly that there was insensitivity, there was inconsistency, uh, there was godlessness even, even among the priests. Uh, there was abuse of their position. Uh, they, they cared more about themselves than they cared about the word of God or the people. They even um, um, had the wrong priorities and they put their own families before God. So this chaos in Israel is most clearly represented in the priesthood uh, and especially in the life of Eli. So Eli is representing uh, what is going on, going on in all of Israel. We see that in verse 2 this morning. Eli, whose eyes were becoming so weak that he could barely see, was lying down in his usual place. 
I think we kind of get a bit of a reminder here of what is going on in all of Israel. You see, Eli had neglected uh, this special role, this chosen role that God had given him. And the writer here says that he was going blind. Really, this is a picture of all of Israel. All of Israel had neglect, neglected their, their special chosen role by God. And they've gone spiritually blind. Also tells us that Eli was lying down in his usual place. Now, it's only a little detail here, but we can ask the question, well, what is this usual place? What is this usual place that Eli was lying? Well, I don't really know, but one, one thing I do know, he wasn't in the temple. The next verse tells us that Samuel was lying down in the temple of the Lord, where the ark of God was. So here we've got Eli the priest lying down, blind, fat, old, in his usual place. We've got this picture of something that cannot be moved, so stuck in their ways. And here we've got the young Samuel, who's actually lying down in the temple of God by the ark of God. What a contrast. This was a dark time. The leadership of Israel was far away, far removed from God. But there is hope. Verse 3. The lamp of God had not yet gone out. The lamp of God was still burning. Now this lamp was the, the golden lamp stand. So in the tabernacle or in the temple, uh, there was a golden lamp stand. And the idea was that the light would always be kept on throughout the night. This was a reminder for the Israelites. This was a reminder of the light of God, the presence of God. Even in a dark night, there was always a light. Even in a dark night, there was always the presence of God. We are reminded here that the Israelites might have forgotten God, but God had not forgotten the Israelites just yet. You might have forgotten God, but God has not forgotten you. And God started to bring about a change in Israel. Amidst all this, this chaos and this darkness, God is starting to work in the situation. And it all starts in the life of one individual. It all starts in the life of this young boy, Samuel. Read with me in verse 4. Then the Lord called Samuel. Samuel answered, Here I am. And he ran to Eli and said, Here I am. You called me. But Eli said, I did not call. Go back and lie down. So he went and lay down. Again, the Lord called Samuel, and Samuel got up and went to Eli and said, Here I am, you called me. My son, Eli, said, I did not call, go back and lie down. Whenever I read this, I, I kind of get this, this picture of Laurel and Hardy in my, in my head, and I hear some tunes, and it, it's a bit comical, isn't it? Um, nobody really knows what's going on. Uh, there's this uh, getting up and lying down and getting up, and nobody knows, and, and it's, it's just confusion. Samuel didn't quite get it, did he? Did he? He really couldn't discern the word of God from the words of Eli. I was reminded of uh, the way uh, the prophet Isaiah puts it. Though seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not hear. This was Samuel. He heard the, the word of God. He heard the voice of God himself. And yet, he didn't hear the Lord. He thought it was Eli. So what is the explanation for all of this? Why did Samuel not get it? Why did Samuel, uh, surely when God speaks, uh, he could have discerned that. We see the explanation in verse, verse 7 this morning. Now Samuel did not yet know the Lord. The word of the Lord had not yet been revealed to him. Now if you're not going to take anything away this morning, I want you to see this. 
This is one of the most important things. Samuel did not yet know the Lord. Does that ring a bell? Have we seen that somewhere else in the book of 1 Samuel already? Do you know about who this is said as well? This was Eli's sons, Hophni and Phinehas. Chapter 2 and verse 12, if you've got an NIV, might not come through. But in the original language, is the exact same phrasing. Hophni and Phinehas, chapter 2 and verse 12, did not know the Lord. Samuel did not know the Lord. Now remember, Hophni and Phinehas, these were the sons of Eli. These were the priests. And we've seen last week very clearly that these were wicked men. They uh, abused their position for their own, for their own gain. Uh, they engaged in immorality with, with the women. It actually says in chapter 2 that the sin of these young men was, was very great. Not just great, very great. And then here we've got Samuel. It reminds us a couple of times that he grew up in the presence of the Lord. Three times over we've been told that he's ministering before the Lord. Verse 2, he slept in the temple by the ark of God. Now there is a real, real danger for us here. We might look at that and say, isn't Samuel a great boy? Isn't Samuel a really good young boy? We might think from our perspective that Samuel is much better than these two priests, Hophni and Phinehas. But when we look at God's words, in reality, they were in exactly the same position. Neither of them knew the Lord. You see, in God's eyes, they were exactly the same. It doesn't matter where you grow up. It doesn't matter how much ministry you do for God. It doesn't matter whether you even live in the church or in the temple. If you don't know the Lord, you're exactly the same. The real question is, do you know the Lord? Even more important, does the Lord know you? We read in verse 7, Samuel did not know the Lord. Now I said this is important, so I want to drill down on this, this aspect of knowing the Lord a little bit further. I want us to really get what it means to know the Lord. There's not just an, an intellectual knowing. When we say to, to know the Lord, it means to have an intimate love relationship with the Lord. Genesis chapter 4 and verse 1, it's talking about Adam. It says, Adam knew his wife. And she conceived and she gave birth to Cain. What does that mean? And it doesn't mean that Adam was just walking down the street one day and bumped into Eve and they started chatting and they knew each other and the next day all of a sudden Eve gave birth to a son. Now when it says that Adam knew his wife, that means that they've got the most intimate love relationship which results in new life. Mary, she understood that. Do you remember when the angel Gabriel uh, came to Mary um, and he announced that she would have a son, that she would uh, give birth to a son? Do you remember what she said? She said, how will these things be? For I am a virgin. Do you know what she says literally? How will these things be? For I do not know a man. She knew everything about Joseph. She uh, knew where he lived, she knew how old he was, she knew his favourite breakfast probably. She knew everything about him, but she didn't have an intimate love relationship with Joseph. You see, in the Bible, to know means to have the deepest intimate love relationship. And the result of that is new life. 
Jesus says in John chapter 17 and verse 3, this is eternal life, that they know you, the one and true God. So Samuel did not know the Lord. Samuel did not yet, yet have this, this intimate love relationship with the Lord. Samuel was a sinful man. Samuel was separated from God in the same way that Hophni and Phinehas were, were separated from God. Again, it reminds us that the hero of this story is, is not Samuel. The hero of this story is, is not Hannah, or the hero of this story is not going to be King David later on. There's only one hero of this story, and that is God. You see, even in the midst of all this rebellion, uh, even in the midst of, of all this rejection of God, God steps in and he reaches out to Israel. He reaches out to Samuel, and he reaches out to you and to me. Now, I think this is a fair point to um, bring up the question, well, well, why Samuel? Why would God reach out to Samuel? Why did God not call Hophni and Phinehas? Why did he not reach out to them? The answer is, I don't know. We don't know. The fact is, God, God did not have to reach out to any of them. God did not have to reach out to Samuel, not, not to, to Israel, um, nor to Hophni and Phinehas, not to anyone. But God was gracious enough to reach out to Samuel. This is the sovereignty of God. He will have mercy upon whom he will have mercy. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. God shows his love, his grace, his mercy, his forgiveness. He reveals himself to Samuel in this passage here this morning. I think another thing that God is revealing uh, of himself here is that he's very patient. Three times over, he calls Samuel. And three times over, Samuel thinks that it's Eli. God was very patient with Samuel. So much so that even this, this old, fat, blind priest who's, who's so stuck in his ways starts to realize that something spiritual might be going on here. He's starting to realize this might actually be God who's involved here. Verse 9. Eli told Samuel, go and lie down. And if he calls you, say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Isn't that ironic? Here we've got this, this priest. Here we've got Eli. He's telling Samuel how to respond to the Lord. But yet he didn't listen and respond to the Lord himself. You see, we must always be very careful that we're not teaching other people and not responding ourselves. We must be very careful to listen and put the word into practice in our own lives before we teach others. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. He goes back to bed. And the Lord came and stood there, calling as at the other times. Samuel! Samuel! Now this verse tells us that God was calling again as at the other times. But do you notice the difference here? That is something slightly different. The first three times, God calls and says, Samuel. Here, we get the double call. To put emphasis and urgency in the call. This is now an urgent call. This is where God is making his decisive move. God is making a move in Samuel's life. And he's putting the claim on his life and says, Samuel, you are now mine. Now, there are four other men, four other men in the scriptures who are actually called double by their name. 
Now, bonus points if you know who they are. I'll give them to you. It's Abraham, it's Jacob, it's Moses, and it's Saul of Tarsus. And we won't go through all of these accounts, but there's one similarity, or two similarities, uh, between all of these cases. The double call of their name um, means, basically, that there's one, a dramatic step of faith, and two, a dramatic change in their lives. Please go to those accounts. There's a dramatic step of faith, and there's a dramatic change in their lives. And there was going to be a dramatic change in Samuel's life. The God that he had previously just known about, uh, that he was serving, but that he'd only known about, he now knew in the most intimate way. God had revealed himself to Samuel. Now that didn't leave his life unchanged, did it? He was now being sent on a mission. Now that Samuel knew God, and he'd received this call from God, he was immediately sent on a mission. Now what kind of a mission? He receives a message for, for Israel and for Eli. We read in verse 11, The Lord said to Samuel, See, I am about to do something in Israel that will make the ears of everyone who hears of it tingle. At that time, I will carry out against Eli everything that I have spoken against his family, from beginning to end. For I told him that I would judge his family forever because of the sin that he knew about. His sons made themselves contemptible and he failed to restrain them. Therefore, I swore to the house of Eli, the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for by sacrifice or by offering. Do you hear this? This is God who's speaking and he says the guilt of Eli's house will never be atoned for. This is a frightening message. This is terrifying. When the God of love, when the God of grace, when the God of mercy and forgiveness says to you, your guilt will never be atoned for. That is frightening. Hebrews 10 and verse 26. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left. You see, God does not tolerate sin. Eli had deliberately ignored God, resisted him, and tolerated sin. Now God is saying, enough is enough. I will cut you off, cut you off, and put your family and you to death. This is a frightening, terrifying message that God sends to Eli. Now I think Samuel realized that this was a terrifying message. He actually went, went back to bed and, and he was afraid to, to tell Eli the vision. Verse 15. It says, um, sorry, verse 15. He lay down until morning and then opened the doors of the house of the Lord. He was afraid to tell Eli the vision. Now you bet he was afraid. But Eli wanted to know the message of God, didn't he? He calls Samuel and he urges him to share what God had said. What was it that he said, said to you? Did he have a good message? Uh, did he have something cheerful to say? Do not hide it from me. But Samuel didn't have a good message, did he? So Samuel, <coughs> verse 18, tells Eli absolutely everything that God had said to him. Now we also want you to see here in verse 18, Eli's response to that. He hears this terrifying, frightening message. He says, here's the Lord, let him do what is good in his eyes. 
Now, at face value, this might actually look like a, a godly response, mightn't it? He says he is the Lord. He says he's, he's sovereign. Um, he acknowledges God's power and his sovereignty. Then he says, let him do what is good, good in his eyes. Eli is saying, well, God's judgments are right. I know that God is righteous. See, Eli knew his theology. Eli knew something about God, but he didn't know the intimate relationship with God. Do you know what Eli should have said? He should have known that God is a forgiving God. He should have known how God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus 34 and, and verse 6. God had revealed himself in this way. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving. Do you hear that? Forgiving wickedness and rebellion and sin. Eli, as the priest, should have known this. Eli should have fallen on his knees. He should have pleaded with God, begged for mercy. Eli, if, if, if nothing else, he should have gone to his death, begging God for mercy and forgiveness. Do not be like Eli. Do not be like Eli. Don't resist God. Don't ignore God. Ask for forgiveness. Romans 10, 13. Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. See, Eli could have repented of his sins and been forgiven. But unlike Eli, Samuel now knew this. Um, Eli, sorry, Samuel was actually calling on the name of the Lord. I think it's interesting in Psalm 99 and verse 6, we read this little phrase. Samuel was among those who called on his name. Samuel had experienced the call of God and he was now calling on the name of the Lord. So the Lord was with Samuel as he grew up and he let none of his words fall to the ground. You see, Samuel didn't only know the Lord, he also knew his word and he started to share that. He started to teach the word, he started to preach the word, he started to share that with the people. He spoke the word of God to the people. And Israel actually recognized that. When the word of God is, is preached, when the word of God is spoken, people will recognize that. Verse 20, all Israel recognized that Samuel was a prophet of the Lord. And God continued to reveal himself to Samuel through his word. Do you remember how we started in verse 1? We saw in verse 1, there was no revelation or no vision. And the word of the Lord was rare. Now we are in verse 21, God is revealing himself. God is showing Samuel his word and he's showing Israel his word. You see, God, God is, is, is showing his faithfulness to his people. They might have rejected him, but God is faithful and he reveals himself through his word. And God has continued to reveal himself in his word. 1100 years after these events, God ultimately revealed himself in his words, did he not? John chapter 1 and verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. You see, Jesus Christ, the ultimate word of God, walked on this earth so that we might know God. Jesus actually says this when he, when he comes to earth, John 7, I know him because I have come from him. See, Jesus 
has the most intimate relationship with God the Father. And he has revealed the Father to us. In Jesus Christ, the revealed word of God, we can know God too. Shall we pray together? Father, we thank you for that glorious truth. That in Jesus Christ, we can know God the Father. That we can have an intimate love relationship with you. Father, we know that we are sinful. Help us to not be like Eli. Help us to not resist your grace, your mercy, your forgiveness. Help us to confess. Father, help us to put our trust in your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for the reminder this morning that when you call, we have to respond to that. Father, help us to do so. Father, help us to know you. Help us to know you more. Help us to know you better. Help us to speak with the Apostle Paul. I want to know Christ. Father, we want to know the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. Father, we thank you for your words. We pray that it might be a blessing to all of us. And we pray that even as we go into our days and into our weeks this week, we might be reminded of the glorious truth that has been revealed to us, the Lord Jesus Christ. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.